chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 12 today. We're going to be thinking about the truth about tithing. And uh, Malachi is only one of uh, several places in the Old Testament where tithing is mentioned, but it's probably the most, uh, the strongest teaching on tithing in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk today about tithing and about other forms of giving that we find in the Bible. But we want to see today the truth about tithing. When you find Malachi 3, join me in standing, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the living God. Since the days of your fathers you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? You ask, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See, if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in the field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, when we talk about tithing, a lot of people think, well, this is a legalistic sermon. Well, I want you to know that tithing existed before the law. Now, the law did not come, tithing did not bring, or the law did not bring tithing into existence. We find tithing very early in the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at biblical giving. We're going to look at a very short, brief history of biblical giving at the end of this message. But looking at Malachi, Malachi is a very interesting book. First of all, Malachi was the last prophet to write down a prophecy for 400 years. John the Baptist was the next prophet. He came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. By the way, they preached the same message. John the Baptist preached repent, and Malachi here preaches return. Return is the Old Testament word or the New Testament word, repent. So Malachi and John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist didn't write a book and Malachi did, preached the same message. And so as we look at Malachi and the word Malachi, the name Malachi means my messenger. Isn't it something that the last messenger God sent before 400 years of silence from God was named my messenger? And Malachi doesn't just talk about tithing. I want you to understand that. There are many other topics Malachi talks about, like divorce. And here, he doesn't really begin to focus on tithing. He begins focusing on the fact that they have turned away from the law of the Lord. They've turned away from God's commands and statutes. I love what Stephen Oford says on his, his commentary on the grace of giving about this passage. He says, when we give, God blesses, and conversely, when we withhold, God curses. Stephen Oford was a great, great preacher. He's in heaven now, uh, but he had a knack of saying things very succinctly. And in this passage, we see basically three things. First of all, verses 7 through 9 talk about God's problems with his people. And, and I want to tell you, as pastor, I have to preach the word of God. And what they did in Malachi's day, many people are doing today. In fact, 50% of the members of the evangelical church in America never give anything to the Lord's work. 
Uh, every now and then somebody will ask me, how many members do y'all have at First Baptist Pelham? And I'll say, well, do you want me to tell you how many show up on Sunday or how many are on the road? And they say, is there a vast difference? And I say, there's a vast difference there. Uh, we have about 27, between 27 and 2,800 members on the road. Now, some of those members we have not been able to find in years. I'm sure some of their members have gone on to their eternal reward. We just don't know it yet. I'm sure some of those members may have joined another church, and that church did not notify us. And so they're still on our road. Uh, in fact, I, I would like to see sometime uh, before I hang it up as your pastor, the opportunity that we might have to have an, an active, honest church row. So when people ask me, how many members do you have? I'll, I don't have to say, well, are you talking about the ones that show up on Sunday? Are you talking about the ones on the road? Uh, and and uh, ones on the road, probably about two thirds, we never hear from. So uh, but the average church in America, one half of the people never give anything to God. In the old days, we used to call it the 80-20 syndrome. 80% uh, of the people give 20% of the money, and 20% of the people give 80% of the money, and, and, uh, and part of that 80% that give uh, the 20% uh, of that 80%, 50% give nothing. So only 30% actually give 20%. Now those numbers have shifted. The number of tithers is even smaller than it used to be. And the number uh, of people who give less than the tithe has increased. And so uh, that's a problem. It's a problem spiritually. Notice that God says, I have a problem with my people. First of all, you have turned from my statutes. God gave them laws and commandments. You go read the 119th Psalm, you'll see every word in Hebrew that talks about the law of the Lord, the statutes of God, uh, God's regulations, God's commandments. All that is in Psalm 119. And God says, yet you've turned from my statutes. And then he says, not only have you turned, but you're taking things that aren't yours. He said, you're robbing me. Now, if, if you saw the news that Brother Mike went to a convenience store this afternoon and walked in with a ski mask on and a gun and, and held up a convenience store and I was arrested, uh, if you didn't fire me, there's something wrong with you. Uh, because I, I'm a, if I do that, I'm a crook and I need to be arrested. I need to be put in jail. I need to be prosecuted. Uh, that's not right. But I want to tell you, uh, it's not right to rob God either. And God says, you've taken from me. You've robbed from me. And it's not armed robbery, but it's spiritual robbery. So they turned, they've taken. And then he says, you're not making the payment of 10%. I'm going to have to check this out. I was talking to Bob about this. Uh, one of the HCSB Bibles I have in my office says the 10%. Now, this HCS Bible says the 10th the or the tithe. Uh, which means that that's what the word tithe is in Hebrew. It means 10%, a tenth. It's real easy to figure it out, folks. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon or even a Baptist preacher to figure out how to tithe. Uh, if you have uh, 10 apples, uh, the tenth is one apple. If you have 10 cows, one cow is a tenth. Uh, it, it's easy to tithe when you're not making much money. I remember uh, Brother Ralph Field, my pastor, used to tell this story uh, when he was pastor back in the day, he said, uh, one man came to him and he said, Brother Phil, I've had to quit tithing. And Brother Phil said, why did you have to quit tithing? He said, because I make too much money. And he said, what do you mean you make too much money? He said, well, I, I used to make $100 a week, Brother Phil. And when I made $100 a week, it wasn't any problem. I'd put $10 in, the offering, in my offering envelope and turn it in every Sunday. It was no problem tithing on $100. And he said, well, Brother Phil, I've worked hard and I've moved up the ladder. And now I make $1,000 a week. 
And he said, Brother Phil, it's hard to put $100 in the envelope. And Brother Phil said, well, let's go down here to the altar. I want to pray for you. And they got in the altar, and Brother Phil started off his prayer by saying, Lord, this man makes too much money to tithe. Lord, would you reduce his salary to $100 a week so he can go back to tithe and have your blessings? And the man said, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, well, I don't want God to curse you. I'm trying to get you back in God's blessing. You know, it's easy when you're not making a I remember when, when we made $75 a week, both of us were students, and I made $75 a week. And on Sunday, I'd put $10 in the offering plate at our little inner city church down in New Orleans. You say, why did you that, do that? My daddy had taught me not to be chintzy when you give to God. He said, if you give to God, God will give to you, and God will meet your needs. You know, it was amazing. I mean, literally, some of the people think I'm lying about this. Well, there were days when we were in seminary, I had less than a dollar in our checking account, and it didn't get overdrawn. Now, some of you find that hard to believe. Uh, those were the good old days. I want to tell you, the banks were honest in those days. They didn't want to stick you with all those things as long as you didn't write a check you didn't have money in the bank for. You say, did you ever mess up? Yeah, I messed up, and I learned not to do that. But one time, it cost a whole lot more to fix it up. But you know, the best money I spent... I've spent my whole life is what I've spent putting back into the Lord's work. And that's really not spending, it's returning to the Lord what is already his. But he said, you're not making the payments of 10%. And by the way, I believe, I want to make this clear, I believe in giving off the top, okay? Don't make God take what's left over. Give God the, the top, the 10%. Give God off of the gross and not off of the net because you want God to bless you on the gross and not on the net. And so that's my advice about that. Uh, but he said, you're not making the payments of 10%. And so God gives them a proposal in verse 10. And as far as I know, and I may be wrong, but as far as I know, this is the only time in the Bible where God says, you can test me. Every other time God talks about our relationship to him, he says we're to worship him. We're to bow down before him. We're to honor him. We're to obey him. We're to come before him humbly. But here he says, bring the full tithe, the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. One of the things I love about the HCSB is you see how it translates the, the M in my is capitalized, showing the majesty of glory of God. I love that. And that's what we do. We bring the tithe to the storehouse. What is the storehouse? The church is the storehouse. In the Old Testament, it was the temple or the synagogue. Now it is the church. Now this is where you come for your spiritual food. I hope you come here for not just what I give you, but I hope you also come because you go to Sunday school. Let me say this about Sunday school. I, people say, I wish you'd get off Sunday school. Well, when y'all all come, I will, all right? I, you, you, all of y'all just show up in Sunday school today. I'll never say another word. No, I better not. I might lie about that. I might have to say a word about Sunday school. You say, why do you want us to go to Sunday school? You're preaching to us. Listen, you know what you're hear, doing when you're hearing me preach? You're hearing one man. You're hearing one man. You need to be listening to other teachers. You need to be involved in Sunday school. You need to be involved in discipleship. You need to be learning. You need to be a disciple. I think the greatest problem in the church today is that we have people who have never really been discipled. Jesus said that was the job of the church, to go preach the gospel and make disciples. We believe in baptizing people. I want you to know we also believe in making disciples. One of the reasons I love mission trips, if you go on a mission trip, you are going to be discipled 
before you go on that mission trip to know what's expected of you and to know what to do. That's why when you go on a mission trip, you may not change the world, but God will change you on a mission trip. Brother Sam's over there in the corner. I think I see him over there. And uh, uh, this past week, he went to a meeting, uh, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it, but we're, we're going to have an opportunity to go somewhere we've never been before. It's not, I'm not going to tell you where it is. Uh, it's going to be a very select group that goes because they're going somewhere uh, where we can't publicly witness out in the streets. But we're sending a medical team, and we're going to minister. And I'll be honest with you, we're probably going to minister as much to persecuted Christians in that area of the world as we are to lost people. Now, we'll minister to lost people, and we'll be praying. And I want you to know, you need to start bathing that trip in prayer. You say, where's it going? I told you, I can't tell you. I can't tell you who's going. I can't tell you when. I don't even know when they're going to go. But I'll tell you this, we need to start praying for it right now. Isn't it wonderful? That we can touch a place where years ago we didn't have an opportunity to go in there. And we can go in there and help our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ. Boy, what an, what an opportunity. But you see, that's discipleship. We, we want the very best. When they go in there, whether they're on the medical team, and there will be some people who will be there to share the gospel. But they have to be very, very careful in how they do that. They have to be carefully trained. That's all discipleship. Listen, folks, we don't know it. I don't know it all yet. I find out new things about Jesus every day. And everything I find out about Jesus is wonderful. It is great to be a disciple. But we need to understand the first task of a disciple is to be obedient. Why do we learn about Jesus and don't do what he says to do? And God says, bring the full 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And here's where I don't find this anywhere else. Test me in this way. You say, why do you say that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, it says, whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, God does not ever say, you must believe in me. That, that's an option right there. You say, aren't you concerned about the atheists? I am. Aren't you concerned about the agnostics? I am. But let me tell you, the best tools against atheists and agnostics are discipled Christians. The best tools against cults are discipled Christians. There's some people at home this morning who ought to be in God's house, and there's some folks going around with some literature from the watchtower, and they're looking for people who ought to be in church on Sunday, and they're not in church, and they're going to go up there and ring their doorbell and knock on their door, and, and they're going to tell them how they can be part of the 144,000. I want to tell you, there'll be Baptists who will fall prey to that. There are Baptists that fall prey to Mormons. There are Baptists that fall prey to all kinds of cults. Why? Because they've never been rooted and grounded in the faith. And part of that is being obedient to what God has told us to do. But God here says, put me to the test. When you tithe, you put God to the test. So that's God's proposal. Now look, there were two things there. He said, bring the tithe, put me to the test. Look at the promises if we'll do that. There's six promises right here. First of all, he says, I'll open heaven. Now, I love it when God opens heaven, don't you? I love it when God opens heaven in the worship. God opened heaven a little while ago in the worship. I love it when God opens heaven in the invitation. I love it when God opens heaven uh, on the mission trip at a block party or when God opens heaven uh, sitting somewhere one-on-one -on -one and talking to people about Jesus. God just opens heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down and a person gets convicted and gets saved. I love it when God opens heaven and God said the first step to opening heaven is bring the tithe into the storehouse. When we bring, God blesses. When we don't bring, God shuts up heaven. He says, I'll open heaven. I'll give you an unlimited blessing. I'll pour out a blessing for you without measure. 
You won't be able to count all the ways that God will bless you if you'll be obedient to him. Number three, the devourer will be rebuked. I'll rebuke the devourer. Now, in those days, they were thinking about locusts and pests and things like that. I think about Satan when I think about the devourer. Now, the Bible says he has one goal, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. And don't you want him rebuked? I do. And listen, friend, don't you say, well, I can defeat the devil. Oh, no, you can't. Now, that's pride if you think you can defeat the devil. He's not all powerful, but I guarantee you this, he's more powerful than you are. He's more powerful than I am. But I'm so thankful he's not more powerful than Jesus. We had a little old man in our church in New Orleans. His name was Mr. Henry. Mr. Henry was raised up a Catholic and he got saved. Because he was raised up a Catholic, he was used to coming down at the end of church every Sunday and shaking my hand. Because in the Catholic church, when they had mass, he'd go down and the priest would give him the communion wafer. And so every Sunday, I, listen, I, and at Carrollton Avenue, we might have 30 people in the congregation. I had a decision at every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Mr. Henry was going to come down and, and, and he was kind of hard to understand. He was kind of tongue tied. He was a sweet old fella. And he did love the Lord, but, but he'd come down and he'd tell me something and I'd pray with him. He'd go back to his seat. And, and, and one day I was talking with him. He said, Brother Mike, Brother Mike. And I said, what is it, Mr. Henry? He said, the devil, the devil came to my door the other day. And I said, the devil came to your door? Yes, sir. The devil came to my door the other day. And I said, well, what did you do? He said, I said, sick him, Jesus. And I said, what happened? He said, he run away. Now, I want to tell you, Mr. Henry might not have had walking around since, but Mr. Henry had a lot of spiritual sense. I want to tell you, don't you try to defeat the devil in your strength. In fact, when you do go up against the devil, you need to do that, but you need to be clad in the armor of God, and you need to be saying, Lord, help me, Jesus, to go against the devourer, because that's who the devil is. He says you'll get a good harvest so that it will not ruin the produce of your ground, and your vine and your field will not be barren. By the way, the devil would rather tear up a church than do anything else. Because if he can tear up a church, then we're not going to be effective in preaching the gospel. We're not going to be effective in outreach. We're not going to be effective in missions. I, I, part of my responsibility as pastor is to do the best I can, but I need your help too. We need to pray for the devil to be rebuked because the devil would love to tear up a church that wins souls, a church that goes on mission trips, a church that believes in, in helping people in other countries uh, find Christ, as well as people here in the United States find Christ. We need to be close to the Lord. He's not happy. The devil's not happy when we take a stand for Christ. And then he said, you'll be recognized by others. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate. Can I tell you the sad thing? The people of Israel never did this. There's no record of the people of Israel doing what Malachi challenged them to do. In fact, 473 years later, they were wiped out. Wiped off the face of the earth. Scattered. And until 1948, from 73 AD to 1948, there was no nation of Israel. But he says also, not only will be recognized by others, but life will be delightful for you will be a delightful land. Is your life delightful today? I mean, you're going to have problems. Let me tell you that. When you tithe, you're going to have problems, okay? God doesn't say if you tithe, you won't ever have any problems. You'll have problems. But isn't it good to know that God says, I'm going to bless you, not curse you in the midst of problems. That's just going to compound your problems. Six promises, God says, if we put him to the test. Now, very quickly, I want to give you just a short thumbnail lesson on a biblical history of offerings and tithings. The first offering we find in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4. 
uh, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. After they were kicked out of the garden, they had children. Uh, they had their first son was named Cain. Their second son was named Abel. Uh, we're not told that Adam and Eve brought an offering to the Lord, but I think they may have, but we're not told that. Again, I'm telling you, I'm, this is my speculation. We don't know that. But Cain and Abel did bring an offering to the Lord. Cain brought an offering from the fields, and Abel brought an offering from the flock. And when they brought it, God accepted Abel's and didn't accept Cain's. Now, this is something. The first man ever born on planet Earth murdered his own brother in a fight over worship. You see, it wasn't just because his offering was accepted. It was because he felt like God had rejected him and favored his brother. And by the way, he didn't have a gun, did he? No guns in those days. What did he do? He took a club. Next thing you know, we're going to have club control in the United States of America. Listen, when somebody wants to kill you, they'll find a way. They can poison you, they can choke you, they can burn your house down around you. Listen, folks, people kill not because of what's around them or even what's in their hand. They kill because something's wrong in their heart. Now, a lot of times something may be wrong in their mind, too. I was criticized a little over a year ago. We had a guy who came to the office one day. He'd been there before. Last time he was there, he said he was Jesus. This time he came in, sat down in my office, and I said, well, do you still think you're Jesus? He said, no, I'm not Jesus. I said, well, good. He said, I'm the first horseman of the apocalypse. I thought, oh, really? And he said, yes. And he, he looked at me, and with a voice that made my blood run cold, he said, and a lot of people are going to die. I looked at him, and I said, you can't say that. I said, that's a threat. He said, it's going to happen. I tried to talk to him. He didn't make any sense. He went out and got in his truck. I picked up the phone called the Pelham Police Department. I told him a guy just came to me and said he's the first horseman of the apocalypse. And he said a lot of people are going to die. I challenged him on that. You shouldn't do that. He said it again. He said it's going to happen. They stopped him and arrested him. You know what he had in his, uh, well, they didn't arrest him. They stopped him. You know what he had in his truck? He had a bow and arrow. You know what the first horseman of the apocalypse carries? bow. I found out later he was a skilled archer had killed deer with it. I've never killed a deer with a bow and arrow. You know, it's no wonder things happen like happened in Connecticut, in Columbine, in a movie theater, in an army base. You see, it's not what people have. It's what's in their heart or what's wrong with their head. But Cain killed his brother Abel. By the way, in, in Hebrews, Abel is listed there. It says, he being dead yet speaketh. Why did he speak? Because he gave an offering that was accepted. We're not told what exactly it was, but his offering was accepted. Then Noah made an offering after he got off the ark in Genesis 8. He carried clean animals on the ark, extra clean animals. So when he got off the ark, some of the clean animals were loose to reproduce and others were loosed or were taken to be used as sacrifice. That's the sacrifice that Noah made after he got off the ark. And then there's an offering given by Abram in Genesis 12 and 13. We're not told it was a tithe. We're told it was an offering. And Abram gave that offering to God after God appeared to him and said, get out of your father's house, get to a land I'll show you. And when Abram obeyed, he gave an offering to God because God had given him direction for his life. Tithing is mentioned first in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. 
And it's a real interesting story. Lot was taken captive by some wicked kings. Abram was not a soldier. Abram didn't have an army. He was a farmer. But he gathered up an army and he went against the federation of kings and conquered them and took spoil from them. And when he came back, he met this guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek just showed up. I mean, he just showed up out of nowhere. By the way, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem. Now that may not mean anything to you, but later on Salem was known as Jerusalem. And so he was king of Jerusalem, the first king of Jerusalem, the, the king of righteousness. And Abram gave him the first tithe. Before the law, before it was commanded, Abram paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And then God mentions it in Leviticus 27 when he gave Moses the law. Now this is why tithing is important. God said, God said, God said that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. What the angels sing about God in heaven is what the tithe is to God. You say, well, you don't have to tithe to go to heaven. No, you really don't. The only thing you have to do to go to heaven is to be saved. But once you're saved, you ought to be obedient to God. And if you're going to be obedient to God, I think you ought to start with tithing. You say, is that all you ought to do? No, I think you ought to give over and above a tithe. I think you ought to give to help poor people. I think you ought to give an offering over and above the tithe. But I think it starts with the tithe. God says the tithe is holy unto him. And then, in, okay, come to the New Testament with me. I wish Jesus had said, blessed are those who tithe, for they shall be blessed. Jesus didn't have to say it. God's word already had said it. I wish Jesus had, it'd been red letter that way, and I could say, yeah, Jesus said that. Here's what Jesus did say. The only good thing the Pharisees ever did was tithe. You think about that. They walked around with their pharisaical robes and they, they would pray within themselves, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like sinners. They were self-righteous. The only thing Jesus ever complimented them on is he said, you boys got one thing right. Now that's the Shaw translation, okay. That's not the HCSB, that's the Shaw. He said, you boys do one thing real good. You tithe off your wife's herbs. And you know what he said? He said, and you ought to do it. He complimented them on the way they tithed out of their wife's herb gardens. But then he did say, don't leave undone the weightier matters of the law. Jesus' only compliment to the religious leaders was in the way they tithed. Now, every now and then somebody will come and they'll say, well, Brother Mike, that's legalistic. We're not under law, we're under grace. Well, you're exactly right. Mosaic law was legalistic. It was a covenant of law. And Jesus came, and I want to tell you, when he came, he fulfilled the covenant of law. That's what he said. He said, I've come to fulfill the, the Old Testament. I've come to do that. And he said, I'm going to give you a new covenant. And he said, that new covenant is not of law, it's of grace. Anyone who would do less under grace than they would do under law is a disgrace to grace. Let me say that again. Anyone who would do less under grace than they would under law is a disgrace to grace. And so if you don't believe that, if you believe tithing's legalistic, I have one more suggestion. Go to the book of Acts, Acts 4.37. Barnabas, one of the early disciples in the early church, later on went on a missionary journey with Paul. The Bible says Barnabas sold a field and brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
If you want to give that way, I have no argument with your not tithing. You go and give everything you have and just bring it up here and put it in the, in the, in the you say, preacher, you're, you're being, I'm being facetious. But I want to tell you this, we sing that song. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my life, my soul, my what? My all. If Jesus told you to give him your all, you'd be a fool not to do it. Because he can demand that. He gave his all for you. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said, if the average church member were on welfare and they all tithed, the income would double. And he said that about his own church. He said that about Bellevue. He said, if every member at Bellevue was on welfare and every member tithed, the income at Bellevue would double. And then Brian Cluth said, give to God what's right, not what's left. Why should you tithe? Well, you could tithe because the Bible says the tithe is holy to the Lord. That's reason enough to tithe. But let me tell you why you ought to tithe. You ought to tithe because you trust God to take care of you. First of all, where did you get it anyway? Where did you get that? Where did you get the money you made? Well, my company paid me. Well, how did your company get the money? Well, we were in business. Well, who oversees all the business? Well, the bosses do. Well... Where did all the stuff that you do come from originally? God made it. You go back, God made it all, God owns it all, it's all his anyway. You think you own a lot? I'm 64. Be 65 in May. 50 years from now, it won't make any difference what my bank account balance was. It won't make any difference if I drove a Cadillac, a Lincoln Town car, or a Ford 500 that was paid for. It won't make any difference that I was president of Alabama Baptist State Convention. Do you know what will make a difference? That I came to God's house on the Lord's day, and I brought back and put into the Lord's treasury 10% of what God had given me and that 10%, by the way, you say, who decides how that money is going to be spent? You do. You vote on it every year. We have a budget committee. You say, don't you have input there? Very little. When I have in, in fact, the staff doesn't want me to have input because last time I had input, we froze the budget. I saw, I saw the, econ the economy going down, and I went to the staff. I said, I'm going to go to the budget committee unless you all talk me out of it and tell them let's freeze the budget because I see hard times coming. Every person on the staff said, we're with you, Pastor. I think it kind of amazed the finance committee. They saw me coming, and the only thing I was asking them was to freeze the budget, not increase the budget. But you decide where the money is going to go. When I bring my money to the First Baptist Church of Pelham, First Baptist Pelham is the, the, the institution I make the check out to. But that's not my money. That's God's money. And here's the thing about it. When you go to bed tonight, if you bring your tithe into the storehouse here, 10% of what you bring in here goes to the cooperative program. Another 4% goes to missions. So when we all go to bed tonight, Paula's worried about next Saturday night. She's going to lose an hour's sleep. And she, she's fretting over it. And I said, Paula, let me give you a little advice. Go to bed early. 
Like grandma, when the sun goes down, go to bed. You won't miss that hour. But it's good to know, Paula, even on that hour we're going to miss next week. Somewhere in the world, somebody's preaching the gospel. Somewhere in the world, a church is being built. Somewhere in the world, a person's being helped in Jesus' name. Somewhere in the world, there's a man in Africa maybe studying his Bible. Going to become a preacher. Being taught by a missionary. That's funded by part of the money we put in the plate today. Listen. We go to bed at night and we rest and God takes the tithe that we bring to the storehouse and he sends it all over the world. And here's the best part. He gets all the glory for it. Because it's not up to us and it's not unto us. We give it unto him. I learned to tithe before I was saved. My daddy was a tither. His mother taught him to tithe. He taught me to tithe. And I've been blessed my life, my entire life, because I believe you can't outgive God. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Test me in this. Try me, prove me, says the Lord, and see if I won't pour out a blessing on your life. Now hear me say this before I'm through. God is more concerned with your soul than he is your money. Don't ever think that I'm just up here to get your money. Listen, I promise you this. I want you to give your heart to Jesus before you give a dime to his work. That's why we tell people that aren't Christians, you know, we, we want you to come to know Christ. That's the most important thing. Don't think by giving your money, you'll go to heaven because you gave money. Listen, friend, the only way to get to heaven is through having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I found out some things about Harold Roberts yesterday, or really on Friday night, I didn't know before. I didn't know Brother Harold liked to clip coupons. That rang my bell. I love coupons. Anytime we go someplace to eat we hadn't been in a while, my wife says, you have a coupon, don't you? And I said, right. That's why we're here. I found out something else about him. He likes honey buns. Loves honey buns. Now, he liked his a little different than I like mine. I just like to pop mine in the microwave, eat it. He liked to put butter and cheese on his. And uh, you say, that doesn't sound good to me. Well, it's pretty good if you ever tried. My, my mother used to eat them that way. But you know what else I found out about Brother Harold? And I kind of knew this because he called me one day. And he said, well, my, my brother-in-law, Barbara's brother, is dying with cancer. He doesn't know Jesus. Would you go talk to him? I said, I sure will. I went to his house and he was on hospice care already. And we sat down in his living room and we started talking. And I let him know I cared about him. And after I let him know that I cared about him, I shared the gospel with him. And you know what? He accepted Christ that day. He got saved. Not long after that, he died and I did his funeral. I, I knew Brother Harold liked for people to go to heaven, liked to be saved. But on his cards, his family gave out at the funeral home was a coupon. It said 100% off your admission to heaven. And under that was the Romans road. It said details below. And under the Romans road was my favorite verse, my life verse, Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today and you've never been saved, 
I've got good news. God loves you. While you've been out in sin, God has loved you. God does not love your sin, but he loves you. In fact, he sent Jesus to be the sin offering for your sin. And today, if you repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and turn and receive Jesus Christ, you can be born again. That's the most important message. But if you're born again, beloved, you're missing a blessing by not tithing. You're not depending on God. You say, well, wait a minute. I, if I'm in financial trouble, how can I possibly make ends meet if I give 10% to God? It's God's crazy math, as Brian Cluth calls it. 90% goes a whole lot further with God's blessing than 100% with God's curse. Are you doing what God wants you to do in every area of life? Maybe, maybe it's not tithing. Maybe it's Bible reading. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe there's sin in your life. God can't bless you unless you're willing to repent, seek forgiveness, and then be